If you're here this morning and you've never met the master, I hope you, I hope you will before you leave here. He will change your life. He's changed mine. He's still changing it. He's still working on me with some things. Maybe he's got you all straightened out, but he's still working on me a little bit. You know, I was thinking about the song uh, that we sang earlier, Revive Us. Everybody in here has rushed to a rush hour mob of some kind this week. We prayed in the prayer room that, you know, we've, we've come through a week of, of busyness. Maybe you're at work and maybe there's been concerns and things in your life. Maybe you've walked through a veil of tears this week for something. I don't know. But God will revive you. He will revive us. And it's just nice to come into his presence on Sunday. I, as I prayed, I shared most of the times, many times when I come to church on Sunday, I've rushed through the rush hour mob. I've been busy with the affairs of life. And maybe there's been times I've cried over something. Our family has shared tears this week as Madison lost her grandmother, so we watched her shed tears. And then I come into this service on Sunday morning, and I've sensed his presence. And I begin to worship him. And all those things that I've, that I've been struggling with that week, they just seem to not matter as much. And I walk right out of here revived, ready to face another week. We can't watch the news and see what's happening in our world today and it not have an impact on us. I probably watch too much news. There's some people who watch no news. I think that's not a great idea either to know what's going on in our world. And it's in times like this that we see what's happening in the nation of Israel and it, it, it garners a lot of questions. It garners a lot of uh, interest in the things of the Bible, maybe for people who are not interested in the things of the Bible typically. You may have seen some things on social media or people may have asked you even about it. Is Christ about the return? I don't know. Is Zechariah 12 in the midst of being fulfilled right among us? Which says in 12.3, And it shall happen that in that day I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would leave it in a way will surely be cut to pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. And it appears that the rumblings of many nations are starting to gather against the nation of Israel. Well, verse 9, it says, It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Is that unfolding before our very eyes? I don't know. I don't know. So what are we to do? What are we to do? We're to pray. We're to seize these opportunities to share the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But it's a complicated situation. This land has been in dispute for years, ever since all the way back to the days of Abraham when God gave Abraham and the chosen people, his people, the land. It's been in dispute. And so what I have done in the last week, I've reached out to some folks that I'm going to try to get some people to come in on a Wednesday night and talk to us a little bit that have a, a better understanding maybe of this than you do or that I do. And I reached out first to Chosen People Ministries. You may remember Stephen Arnold who a couple years ago did the uh, Passover for us on a Sunday and explained each part of the Passover. Stephen Arnold's Jewish. And I called him and I left him a message. He's a Messianic Jew. And it turns out he was in Israel when it was attacked. 
and his family had to escape into a bomb shelter. And he's in Cyprus now, but he got my message and he passed it on to someone else, a lady by the name of Michelle. And she called me back. And I told her, I said, Michelle, I would like to have someone to come into our church and that understands this conflict from a historical perspective and a biblical perspective. And she's working on that for me, and I'm excited to hear about it. But you want to hear some good news? She told me that Stephen had told her that they've got lots of Christians on the ground over there witnessing, sharing the gospel, and that Stephen has many testimonies of people who are surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ in the midst of this content. See, that's what, see, we look at the negative. Nothing is happening that God Himself, that our Savior is not going to use for the advancement of the kingdom and the advancement of the gospel. And that, that thrilled me. And we had a chance to pray together, and she's working on that. And I'm looking forward to her bringing someone. But in the midst of talking about that, Matt Fisher informed me that his family has supported a missionary for many years, and it turns out my daughter-in-law, Madison, knows him as well. He's a missionary and has run a Christian school in Gaza. I didn't even know such thing was allowed, which tells you we don't know everything. We don't know all the dynamics of it. And he, he sent a 15-minute update to his supporters, Matt got it, Madison got it, and he shared it with me, and I had a chance to listen to it. And in, it, in that update, he challenged people to be careful of how we approach things, of whether we have a crucified spirit? Do we look at what's happening as the Lord would look at it with a broken heart, praying that peace would come, praying for the Palestinians, praying for Israel? Or do we have a crusader spirit? And I'm going to tell you, my default position is a crusader spirit because of my background. When I hear some of the atrocities, and I fully support Israel's right to defend themselves, but when I hear some of the things that happened in that initial attack, my traditional thoughts is, I tell you what, God, let Israel go in there and kill them all and let God sort them out. I mean, let's be honest. But that's not the heart of the Lord. And so he's agreed that he's going to come on a Wednesday night. He's going to give us a little bit different perspective. He has a heart for the Palestinian people. Not Hamas, not the terrorists, but not everybody over there is a terrorist. Not everybody there is Hamas. And so we're called to wrestle with these things. We're called to submit our desires, our wants, our ways, the way we think it ought to be to the ways and the Word of God. Amen. Our thoughts, our actions, we're called to submit to those things. And that's the title of my message this morning, is Submitting to God. We don't like to submit. We see it in our culture. We see so many people today, they don't want to submit to authority. Children don't want to submit to parents. Students don't want to submit to teachers. Wives don't want to submit to the godly leadership of husbands. We don't want to sit, submit to the authority of the government. And in all those things, God's Word tells us to submit. We started out in James 4 last week, and we're going to finish up. I'm going to read James 4, 7 through 10 momentarily, but I want to recap a little bit about James 4 and where we ended last week. James 4, when I went through, that was difficult. I shared with you that when we started this study on James, James was a pastor. He had been the pastor of Jerusalem. This letter come from the heart of a pastor. And he's walked us through everything. Things like the reality of trials, of temptations, favoritism, work, speech, wisdom. And last week, 
it was worldliness. Do you think the church is worldly today? Absolutely. And he said, you're supposed to be people of peace. You're supposed to display that type of peace. So why are you fussing and fighting all the time? Why, why, what, are you, what are all the bickering about? And I think about some of the things that people bicker about in the church today. They, we get caught up on our dogma on certain secondary doctrines. People get mad. You say, well, we believe in a pre-trib rapture. Well, I'm a post-trib rapture. If you don't believe what I believe, I'm going to get mad and leave. We see it. We see people bicker over things. The Bible says, come let us reason together. We should be able to sit down and talk and not get mad and run off. And that's what James was saying. And it was hard teaching, honestly, for me, because he, he came hard. He came hard. He said, you murder and you fight. And he said, I don't murder nobody. If you speak anger, if you harbor anger or bitterness against your brother the Lord, the Bible says you committed murder. You fight and you covet. You don't, you don't ask. When you do ask, you ask with the wrong motives that you might spend it on what, what you want. You seem to be more in love with the world than with the things of God. That's what James said. It was hard. You know what it was? It was a rebuke. He was rebuking his hearers. In some ways, he rebuked me. And we don't like rebuke. We like the God of love and everybody, you know, God loves everybody. He does. But there is a lot of scripture in the Word of God about rebuke. The word rebuke means to reprimand or strongly warn. One of the greatest things that a trusted brother or sister in the Lord can do for you is to rebuke you, strongly warn you if they see you outside of the will and the ways of God. A trusted brother or sister, I said. I'm not talking about the Pharisee that feels like they got a right to control everybody's life and always point out how you're not doing it right. There's plenty of those out there. But I'm glad I've got trusted brothers in my life that I know would rebuke me in a time that I needed rebuke. And you know what I find out and find interesting about this as I thought about this idea of rebuke? In our sports culture, in our sport, sports culture, I imagine we've all seen this. Have you, you, have you ever been uh, watching a game and at halftime, whether it's, whether it's Coach K or Coach Williams or maybe your favorite football team and it's halftime and the team hasn't performed well and they're losing and they see the coach and they show the coach in there and man, he is giving it to them for their poor performance. You ever seen that? We like that. We brag about that. We say, boy, did he come in there and give it to them and they went out and they played much better. He's asking them to perform up to their potential. And you follow these these athletes later in life, whether they were high school athletes, whether they were college athletes, and sometimes pro athletes, you'll hear them say how much they loved their coach. And they knew he loved them. I was on the receiving end of that before. I've been on the receiving end of that before. But I knew my coach loved me. He cared for me. He, wanted, he knew I wasn't performing to my potential. But we take that same principle, and when it's done correctly from a trusted brother or sister that comes to us and says, what are you doing? We get angry. Maybe a pastor stands at a pulpit. We get angry. And the most important thing that someone can do is have a concern or a care for your soul. Done in the right way. So I just got a, I got a couple things, uh, a few words on rebuke before I move into this, Jane. First, like I said, it means a reprimand or to strongly warn. A rebuke is an act of love and concern. It's not, if it's done right, 
and it should be done right. Proverbs 25, 5 through 7 says this, an open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. A brother and a sister that would come to you and talk to you and say, look, we need to have a conversation. That's better than one that's just going to love you through it. That will come and challenge you in it. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. There's nothing sweeter than the words of a trusted brother or sister that will come and challenge you in your walk with Christ. Scripture commands it. Paul talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.20. He knew Timothy's going to take over this ministry for me. So he's preparing this young man to pick up his mantle and carry on the gospel. says in 1 Timothy 5.20, Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. Now, I'm sure that Paul remembered the words of Jesus that had been shared down. Jesus gave us instructions on church discipline. He said, if a brother's sinning, go to him. Go to him. Talk to him. If he won't receive it, take two with you. If he won't receive that, bring him before the church. You know, Paul would say later, actually, and this, this is hard. Paul would say, if a brother is in immorality in the church, you know the words that Paul would use? He would said, hand him over to Satan. That his body might be destroyed, but his soul might be restored. Now, we don't typically practice church discipline like that because it's so much different today. I shared with you in the, with the story of the rich man that came into the congregation. The church was very central to people's lives back then. So to be put out of the church was a big deal. It was a big deal to be put out of the church. Well, today when we go to people and we say, we challenge them in their sin, particularly if they're in a leadership role, they just get mad and leave. But the church down the road, I can just go do that, so I'm not worried about that. We had a young man here years ago. He got caught, and, and he did get caught. <laughs> the circumstances were quite interesting. I won't share that with you. But he got caught in sexual sin. And I knew him, and I had a relationship with him, and I was able to meet with him. And I said, you know, why don't you come back to the church? The worst thing you can do is leave and flee. I said, come back. Do what the Bible says. Stand up on a Sunday. We'll give you some time. Say, listen, I've sinned before the Lord. And I'm, I'm restoring my relationship with God. And I'm restoring my relationship with my wife. And I need your help. I said, I can tell you one thing I know about Bethel Christian Center. We will gather around you and help restore your walk with the Lord. And he liked that counsel. He's like, yeah, I like that. I, I think I may do that. I've never seen him since. I know a little bit about his walk. I don't think he's where he needs to be with the Lord. But that's the challenge, and that, that's, that's what Paul was saying to Timothy. Jesus modeled it in Mark 8, 33. Jesus had been telling his disciples, look, guys, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going up, and I'm going to be crucified. And Peter wasn't hearing that. He said, look, I don't want to hear that. That's not going to happen, Lord. That's not going to happen. And just that quick, right in the presence of all the disciples, Jesus turned around he looks at Peter and he says, but when he had turned around, he looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Do you think Jesus loved Peter? Oh, he loved him with an everlasting love. He restored him after he denied him. But at that moment, he rebuked him. 
rebuke. And that's what James was doing here when he started out here in verse 4. But as in always at the end of that, he said there's grace. If you find yourself in any number of these things, there's grace. You can come and receive grace. And he ended that by saying this, but God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. What does that mean? How do we receive that grace? How do we humble ourselves before God? And he starts right in with verse 7 in that. I want to read James, James 4, 7 through 10. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your challenges of your word. Lord, sometimes it's hard to read, and sometimes as I apply it to my own life, it's convicting. But Lord, that's the purpose of it, to look at it as like a mirror and see my own life and see... God, where you're convicting me, maybe where you're rebuking me. And so I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your Holy Spirit, and I thank you for grace, for grace that we can receive in our time of need. In Jesus' name, amen. So James says, therefore. What's the therefore? Anytime you read the Scripture and you see therefore, what's it for? Well, he's referring back to the condition that he had just rebuked them on. And he says, if you want to receive this grace, you must humble yourself. In the process of humbling yourself, first you submit to God. The word submission there, the Greek word, is a military term. It means to line up under a commander. Pastor just saying he belong, we belong to Jesus. Do you belong to him? Have you lined up under him as your commander? How many military people do we have here? How many veterans do we have in the I know Steve Hall is. I see him. My brother here is one. You understand lining up under a commander, don't you? I don't imagine, Steve, and the rest of you, when you were a private, that when your commander came and gave you an order, I don't imagine that you would have started uh, bucking that. It wouldn't have turned out well for you. You submit yourself to that commander. That same word is used of Jesus when he submits himself to his parents' authority as a young boy. It's the same word that's used for believers who are to submit themselves to the government. It's the same word that's used that says that the church should submit itself to Christ. And it's also the same word that was used when the disciples came back and said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. It's the same word that come up under their control. Are you under the control of the Lord? Have you submitted yourself to him? Do you see him as your commander? Pastor Don gave me something years ago, and it, it, I had framed it, and it, it was... It was printed with a, the image of a, what looked like a medieval knight in the background. And I had it framed, and I had it in my office for years, and I didn't want to go digging through a bunch of boxes to find it. So fortunately, I was able to find it on, online. And it's called I Am a Soldier is the name of it. And I had that set in my office for a long time, and I would find myself reading it. And I want to read it for you, and I want you to think, just think if we really viewed ourselves this way. If we really conducted ourselves this way, how much different the church would be if we lived really like this says. I'm a soldier in the army of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. 
The Holy Scripture is my code of conduct. Faith, prayer, and the Word are my weapons of warfare. I've been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I'm a volunteer in this army. I'm enlisted for eternity. I will not get out, sell out, be talked out, or pushed out. I'm faithful, reliable, capable, and dependable. If my God needs me, I am there. I'm a soldier. I'm not a baby. I don't need to be pampered, petted, primed up, pumped up, picked up, or pepped up. No one has to call me, remind me, write me, visit me, entice me, or lure me. I'm a soldier. I'm not a wimp. I'm in a place saluting my king, obeying his orders, praising his name, and building his kingdom. No one has to send me flowers, gifts, food, cards, or candy, or give me handouts. I'm committed. I cannot have my feelings hurt bad enough to turn me around. I cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to cause me to quit. When Jesus called me into this army, I had nothing. If I end up with nothing, I will still come out ahead. I will win. My God has and will continue to supply all of my need. I'm more than a conqueror. I will always triumph. I can do all things through Christ. The devil cannot defeat me. People cannot disillusion me. Weather cannot weary me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot defeat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell cannot handle me. I'm a soldier. Even death cannot destroy me. For when my commander calls me from his battlefield, he will promote me to captain. He will allow me to rule with him. I am a soldier in the army. I am marching, claiming victory. I will not give up. I will not turn around. I am a soldier marching heaven bound. Here I stand. Will you stand with me? Boy, could you imagine how much different things would be if we said, you know, this is the way I'm going to approach my... I'm going to submit myself to my commanding officer and nothing's going to stop me. And church, the scriptures tell us that we have that. We're more than conquerors. But we are not willing sometimes to submit. We're not willing to submit. There's four things we have to submit when we think about submitting to God. First is our will. The first three things that we have to submit is our will. We have to want to. We have to want our want to's to change. I'm not talking about subjugation. Subjugation is when you come in and say, well, I'm going to do this or not do that. I don't want to. I still want to do that, but I'm going to do it, I guess. And sometimes that's how it starts out. I've shared before, there's many times things I do and I don't do for the Lord. It's not at times because I want to, but because I'm commanded to. But the longer you walk with Him, the longer you're in His Word, the longer you walk in His way, what you find is your will and your ways, they start to change. Your desires start to change. But you must first come to Him willing to submit your will to His. You must. If you come to Him not willing to submit anything, nothing will change. Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and everything in his flesh did not want to go to that cross. We've read that so much, I think we have forgotten just how terrible that was. He knew what was coming. He knew what he would face. And he even prayed, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go through this. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. And that's how we have to approach Him. Lord, not my will, but Thine. 
Must submit our will. Must submit our desires. Our desires. That's an ongoing battle, church. That's part of the sanctification process. I wish I could tell you that you're going to come to the Lord, you're going to repent, and all of a sudden the desires that are outside of the Word of God are just going to go away. They're not. There's still going to be struggles. There's still going to be times when you fail. But we submit those desires. No matter what, we say, Lord, this desire that I have is not in line with your word and your way. And we see plenty of places now, plenty of churches that has decided that, well, you know, God got it wrong here. I think I'll just change that and I can go. And I can go to that church and they'll allow me to fulfill the desires that God said are not right for me. The Apostle Paul said, I die daily. That means he got up every day and had to submit his will and his ways to the Lord. It's a day. But his mercies are new every morning. What, he, what you need for the day, he will give you for the day. I still remember a man that used to come to this church by the name of John Couch. Some of you will remember John. John Renna was so faithful to a prison ministry for many years here at the church. Chip, can you turn the heat down in here a little bit? It is hot and a lot of people are fanning. Um, but he was so faithful to that. And he brought prisoners from the Orange County camp. And that's what they called it, the camp. And he brought a man for a long time by the name of Melvin Rose. Some of you may remember Melvin. And a lot of the guys that, that John would bring, I think, just was looking for a way to be out of the, out of the prison maybe for the day or Sunday. And John would take them out to eat lunch afterwards. But not Melvin. Melvin got saved. And we loved Melvin. But Melvin wasn't one of those guys who had been in and out of prison, in and out of prison, in and out of prison. And God can save those people too. But oftentimes, we get a lot of jailhouse salvations. But Melvin got truly saved, and Melvin as a young man had got done something stupid. He lived up in Bertie County. He was an old country boy. But as a young man, he did something stupid, and he killed a man. And he had been sentenced to 20 years. But Melvin was here almost every Sunday with Brother John, and he truly got saved. Well, we had the privilege to have John and Melvin in our home at least two Christmas mornings. I think it was three. We would bring them in, and we would, they would eat breakfast with us and just, just share with Melvin and John. Well, John, the way John got involved in the prison ministry was through AA. John had been a, was a recovering alcoholic, and he hadn't had a drink in years. And we were sitting on the couch, and we were talking, and John was talking about something, and John said something that floored me. He said, you know, I get up every day, almost every day, and want to drink. And I was like, what? What? You ain't had a drink in 30 years. But that desire was still there. And John knew where that desire would take him. He knew where it had been. And that just reminded me that whatever the desire is that I have, that I struggle with, I have to get up every day and submit it to the Lord. And know that I might struggle with it, but submit it to the Lord. And that's what John did. He got up every day and submitted that desire to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Every day. And it, and it encouraged me. What John did was he died daily to that desire. We must submit our will, we must submit our desires, and we must submit to others. That's what the Christian walk is about. It's about submitting to others. I'm here to tell you, young people, if you won't submit to your parents, you won't submit to God. 
Young lady, if you won't submit to the godly leadership of your husband, you won't submit to God. If you won't submit to the government when it is not telling us to do things that the Bible doesn't tell us to do, you won't submit to God. Because the Scriptures tell us to submit to all those things. If you won't submit to the leadership, the godly, proper leadership of a brother or sister or the leadership of a church, you won't submit to God. Because we're called to submit to others. And we're to submit our wills to each other. In essence, we have to submit our entire lives to his lordship. Jesus said, if a man wants to come, come after me, he must do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And that can be difficult at times. But James said, submit to God. But then he said this, submit to God and resist the devil. Don't get that backwards. I think too many people get that backwards. I'm going to get my life straightened out. I'm going to quit doing this, that, and the other, and then I'm going to come to church. I, I don't belong in there with those folks. Those, those are good people. I'm not. You got it backwards. You got it backwards. Submit to God first. You, you may have things in your life. You may be new to the faith. And you may say, I'm going to get up and I'm, I'm not going to do this today. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to say this. And you're likely to fail and be right back. And the devil's going to be in your ear about it. And you're going to feel guilty about it. Submit to God first. Submit to God first. Make a commitment. Lord, I'm going to, I don't fully understand this book. I'm going to tell you, I've been reading it more than I ever have. And sometimes I read it and still have more questions than I began with. But it's not going to stop me from reading it. I'm going to read this book. When I need advice, I'm going to ask a trusted brother or sister. I'm coming to church on Sunday. I'm going to come on Wednesday night. I'm going to come to Friday night prayer. Not all the time, but I'm going to start doing some things in my life that's going to help me in my walk, in my submissions to God. I'm going to have to change some things. That's going to be a matter of, my, of submitting my will to His will. And then as you do that, as you do that, what you will then begin to see is those desires do begin. It becomes a whole lot easier to submit the devil and, I, and resist the devil. And I think a lot of that is because when the devil comes and he looks at you, he says, this, this guy's close to the Lord. I'm going to go on over here to this one who ain't. And I'm going to harass him to death. Submit to God. Then resist the devil. I wrote this down. You will not be able to resist the devil while being in rebellion to God. If there is something in your life that God is dealing with you over, if there's something in your life that is outside the word and the ways of God that you just said, I'm just not going to submit it. I'm going to stay in it. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to stay in it. You'll never be able to resist the devil because you're in rebellion to God. You haven't fully decided yet that you're willing to submit your ways and your will to him. And then James says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. If you feel distant from the Lord, I can promise you he hadn't moved. I shared with you last week when Chris Trueworthy came, he really challenged me and the Holy Spirit moved in me that my intimacy was not where it needed to be with the Lord for some time. You know, it's easy, particularly when you have to prepare the messages on Sunday and be prepared to teach and preach. It's easy for things to become mechanical. They, they become about the mechanics of it. Reading the Bible, studying it, researching it, looking at the context of which the Scripture's in, you know, making sure I have it in its proper context, maybe looking at some commentary on it. And that's good. I like that. 
but I don't want to be so mechanical that I don't feel the unction of the Holy Spirit. That's where the anointing comes from. And it's easy to get away from that. It's easy to get into the mechanics of it and not just say, Lord, I'm really not going to get into all the commentary today. I'm going to get on my knees and pray a little bit and say, Lord, reveal to me what you want me to say. But he said, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And he gives a couple ways to do that. He First he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. In the Old Testament, the priests, they had to wash both their hands and their feet before they could come into God's presence. And here James is saying, when he's saying cleanse your hands, he's saying it's time to clean the life up. You can't just approach God in any old way. It's practical steps of holy living. It's saying that I know there's things I can't do anymore. There's places I don't need to go anymore. There's things I don't need to watch anymore because I know where it's going to lead me. There's a scripture in Acts 19 and 19. Paul has been in Ephesus. He's been preaching. The Holy Spirit has been moving. People have been getting saved. And this is what's the result in Acts 19 and 19. He said, also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. The Holy Spirit had moved on these people. They had been practicing witchcraft. They didn't go back into their uh, homes and get their books out and say, well, I'm just going to stay in my witchcraft in here. They said, "Uh uh-uh, this mess is going. And they took it out. It was expensive. It's a lot of money. And they threw it in a pile and they burned it. Sometimes we have to burn some things up in our lives that we know are keeping us distant from God. It's practical steps to holy living. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. He says, purify your hearts. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's the second time James has used this term, you double-minded. He used it in James 1.8, in chapter 1, verse 8. When he talked about the people who come and pray, but they doubt, they don't think anything's going to happen. He called them double-minded. He said, you might as well not expect to get anything from the Lord. That's the people, as, as I went through that last time, and the same principle applies here. That's the people who have really no desire to have an intimate relationship with the Lord. They're just looking for something. God, I've got a problem. Come come, uh, straighten my problem out. I'm not really interested in knowing you. I'm not interested in having a relationship with you. I just got a problem. So come in here. I'm coming to the church. Straighten my problem out. That's a double-minded person. Same is true here. Purify your hearts is our inward desires. It's our inward desires. That when he says purify your hearts... You double-minded. He's talking about have a real desire for God to clean up my thought life. God, clean this up. I want my life, I want my inner parts to change. Because when those begin to change, the outward things begin to change. That's where it really starts there. And what James is referring to is those people who come and they really have no desire to give up the sin that's in their life. They like it. God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to act like I want to change this thing, but I really don't. I want to kind of keep it because I kind of like it. I think about Junius Westbrook. He came to mind when I did when I uh, was preparing this. We had, a, we had a group come here many years ago on a Wednesday night. It was a group that was recovering from addiction. It was a Wednesday night, and a young man come and knelt right down there to pray. He had 
was covering from a, and still struggling with a heroin addiction. And if you know the story of Junius, and many of you do, but some of you are new to the church and don't, it was Pastor's brother, and he had a powerful testimony about how God had delivered him from alcoholism. And we prayed here with this, this man, and then he stood up, and Junius began to talk to him. And so I walked away because Junius could talk to this man. Junius knew what it was to struggle with an addiction. and Junius knew what it was to say, really in his heart, Lord, I'm done with this. And the Lord delivered him from it because he meant it. And Junior stood there and talked with that guy for some time. And I watched and I sat on the pew and watched. And a few minutes later, Junior's come and walked up and sat down beside me. And he looked at me and he said, he's not ready. He's not ready. And see, Junior's knew. Junior's knew. And until he was ready, and I believe when he's ready, and I believe when anyone is ready, that releases the power of the Holy Spirit releases the power of that Holy Spirit to turn you loose from that thing that God wants to release you from. But you got to submit that will to say, Lord, I, I want to let it go. I want to give it to you. And then lastly, he says, lament, mourn, and weep. When's the last time you felt broken over your sin? We as believers, sin creeps into our lives. It does. But you should hate it. You should weep over it. You should repent of it. I see many people who identify as Christians, say they're followers of the Lord. I see their lives. I see things on their social media. And they seem to rejoice in their sin to me. They seem to laugh it up in their sin. There's no, seems to be no brokenness over it to me. They put it on display. James says, lament, mourn, and weep over it. I'm afraid sometimes that in our good old boy American culture, that sometimes we think God is like us. God knows, look, I'm, I, I know, look, I'm going I'm to go out sometimes, I'm going to drink more than I should, I'm going to chase women, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, but I'm just a good old young American male. God understands. I mean, he's like, he's like us. He gives it a wink and a nod. No, he don't. No, he does not. How serious does he take sin? Look at that right there. That's how serious he, he takes it. And he wants us to come to him. And he wants us to submit our wills. And he wants us to submit our ways. He wants us to change us, our desires. He's doing that in my life. He's still doing I'm not there, church. He works on these things our entire lives. Might be, we might get better at our outward actions, but what about our inward motives? That's where he gets down deep into the innermost parts. My attitude toward people, toward things. Oh, it may not manifest it, but it's sin nonetheless. But we pick and choose our sins sometimes if we're not careful. Lament, mourn, and weep. You know, I think about the story of the Pharisee, the parable Jesus told about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Matt, you guys can come on up. Psalm 51 and 17. I, I want to read this psalm first. David, King David, had gotten caught in sin, adultery, murder, 
And he had it hidden pretty well. He had hidden it pretty well. I think he thought, I've gotten away with it. But he didn't count on a prophet named Nathan. He didn't count on a trusted prophet to come to David and rebuke him over his sin. And that was the catalyst for David to get serious with God and repent. And if you've never read Psalm 51, go home today and read Psalm 51. It is a psalm of repentance. You want to see a broken man? You want to see a man that's truly sorry about his sin? Go read Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51 and 17, David said this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. I don't know, maybe you're there. Maybe there's something in your life. Maybe there's hidden sin in your life. But I'm here to tell you, my friend, if you'll come to God with a broken and a contrite heart, He will save you. He will forgive you. He will cast your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. And that's what He wants to do. But so many people today just want to hang on to them. Hang on to them. Jesus illustrated that so well with the Pharisee and the tax collector. Pharisee walks in. Two men walk into church. This happens today in some ways. Two men walk into church. One of them's a Pharisee. He's self-righteous. He's self-righteous. And he stands there at the altar and he says, You know what? I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector over there. Tax collectors were also referred to as sinners. I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there. I've never been divorced. I'm not a homosexual. I don't miss, I've never killed anybody. I even throw a five in the plate every once in a while. Come to church every once in a while. I'm a pretty good person. God, you ought to be glad I'm here. I'm adding a little lib to it. Okay. And in walks the sinner. I think with this broken and contrite heart. And the Bible says he won't even look at, he won't even lift his head. All he'll do is beat his chest and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have you ever been there? I have. I don't, I don't particularly like to weep and cry, but there's been times in my life when I have fell on my knees here or at home and cried my eyes out before a holy and righteous God. And I said this before, and the reason being is I feel like for a moment I get a glimpse of His holiness. And when I do, boy, I see my sinfulness. And I see my condition and my destiny without that cross. And the tears of, tears of two things, repentance and gratification. That God, I don't have to do anything to please you. Thank you for the cross. God, thank you for saving me. And Lord, I love you and I want to make you my commander and I want to follow you and I want to submit my will to you. Not because I have to, but because I want to. Because I fully understood now what has been done for me. And what my eternal condition is without it. And that's what the sinner was experiencing that moment. The Bible says, that man who beat his chest, he went away saved. This guy went away in his self-righteousness. Lament, mourn, and weep. James closes by saying, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He'll lift you up. This is all about humility. It's all about humility. He started, this is 
Humility bookends this challenge from James. He starts by saying submit. Submission takes humility. And he ends by saying humble yourself. Are you willing to humble yourself under, the, under God? Or do you want to hang on to you, the things you want to hang on to? He stands ready to change your life. I'm going to ask everyone in the building to stand. If you're here this morning, there's something you haven't fully submitted to God. You want to. But you're like, there's just some things in my life I just haven't really submitted to Him yet. I want to challenge you to come down and kneel in the altar. Kneel. We stand at the altar a lot. I love to see people kneel at the altar. You know, the kneeling is an is a outward expression of humility. You're really in a humble position when you kneel before God. You kneel and raise your hands. That's why we raise our hands. It's a symbol of submission. I submit to you, God. I submit. It, especially for us guys, sometimes it takes a little bit of humility to raise our hands and say, God, I'm going to raise my hand. I know people are looking at me, but at this moment in my body, I want to submit. By the raise of my hand, say, Lord, I submit to you. I submit my life to you. If you would, if you would like to, only if you want to, I'm going to ask everybody in this place to raise their hands. Lord, every person in this sanctuary, God, is in need of you in some way. I am, and everybody under the sound of my voice is in need of something from you. And Lord, we stand and lift up our hands as a sign of submission to you. To say, Lord, we love you. Lord, there's things probably in all of our lives we hadn't fully surrendered and submitted to you. It is in mine. But God, you still, the song says you're still working on me. And as we read about what it means to be a soldier, Lord, I'm not quitting. I'm not turning around. I'm going to let you keep working on me and working on me. And I'm going to keep coming to the well of grace and the well of grace. And I find it there. But I find, Lord, as I've walked with you for a few years now, I don't have to come to that well of grace as much anymore because I find you're changing me. You're changing my desires. You're changing my ways. And, I, and I'm glad of that because it's a much easier walk. It's a lot easier being close to you than it is being distant from you. And I pray for anyone that's in this place this morning, God, that may have something they haven't fully submitted to, something that is just nagging in their spirit. And I pray now, Lord, that if they would, they might would come down and kneel before your throne with a broken and a contrite spirit ready to let it go and give it to you. We worship you in this place. Be glorified here. Let your Holy Spirit flow across this building. If there's one, Lord, that you're dealing with, two, five, God, would they surrender themselves to you? Would they surrender themselves to you?